Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for your grace toward us and your kindness toward us. Thank you so much that you're opening our eyes to your goodness and beyond our wildest dreams. Lord, thank you that your death on the tree removed the veil so we can see behind the veil. For your body was the true veil. And when it was rent, all sin was taken away. Behold, in this new covenant, I remember your sin no more. No more. And I will be merciful to all your iniquities. For he who believes on me has entered into my rest and has ceased from his own works as God did cease from his works and entered his own rest. Thank you, Father. We no longer work to be righteous. For he who has received this abundant grace and the gift of righteousness shall reign in life. Lord, thank you that we have an open heaven. Nothing separates us from you. For he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit. The Son in the Father, the Father in the Son, and we in the Son, and the Son in us. One. Great mystery. What a great mystery, Lord. What an awesome covenant. Cut not between man and God, but between a man and God. A covenant between Father and Son. A covenant that has been completed, ratified, and finished. And Lord, you sit now on the right hand of God with all authority in heaven and on earth, forever proclaiming the Lamb who sits on the throne has taken away the sin of the world. And there is no authority over your authority, Lord. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The Lamb sits on the throne who took away the sin of the world. Thank you for this rest, Lord. Thank you for this peace. We now have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, help us see these things more clearly and help us to enjoy you more fully. May the Spirit of God continue to lead us into all truth that we might experience the liberty of the sons of God on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. For this is your will. Your will be done. Your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Thank you, Father. Awesome, awesome. Awesome reality.
Thank you, Jesus. Amen. I want to share some thoughts this morning about miracles. Miracles. Signs and wonders and a very important aspect of the covenant that God has cut with us, a very important aspect of the kingdom of heaven. I think it's um, really important to see the scripture says that in the book of Acts, you know, in the book of Acts, almost every chapter, there are miracles and there are supernatural things happening on every page of the book of Acts, as well as controversy on almost every chapter, in every chapter of the book of Acts. They kind of go hand in hand. When the invisible comes into the visible, the sparks will fly. And usually it's religion that's fighting the invisible. And you see that in the book of Acts. Those who are really not religious, they're either drawn to it like, oh my God, we never knew you could love me, a prostitute or whatever. They're either drawn to this reality or they take it or leave it. They go, well, that's interesting, Paul, but we're going to go back to talking about what's new in the world you know, the Greeks, and, you know, that's interesting. But they don't get mad. But the religious get mad. It's interesting because the world, we either followed him or they just let him, you know, do his own thing. But the religious set out to kill him. They planned it. Why? What's, what's the deal here? Well, religion is all about man controlling man. God is not into that. God is into setting men free to him. For it was liberty, for liberty that Christ set us free. He, Paul says, stand fast in the liberty by which Christ has set us free. The scripture says that he confirmed the word of his grace with signs and wonders in the book of Acts. From the beginning of his ministry, he began with the supernatural, miraculous, and turning water into wine at a wedding. It's very important that we see that a, a very important aspect of the gospel we preach is expecting the supernatural. And I know you already know this. I just want to encourage you to heighten your expectation and to see maybe more than we've seen before in terms of how eager he is to manifest himself in a supernatural way. Look at this verse in Galatians. It is so awesome. Galatians chapter 3 while you're turning to that Galatians chapter 3, remember that verse in Acts. I love that verse. I don't have the site for it, but you could find it through the Strong's Concordance, I guess. Probably Ken could find it on his phone real fast, but it's, uh, it's uh, he confirmed the word of his grace with signs and wonders. He will not confirm the word of the law with signs and wonders. He confirmed the word of his grace with signs and wonders. He will not confirm a mixture of law and grace. God hates mixture. In fact, a mixture of law and grace is not truth. So he will not confirm that which is not true with signs and wonders, but he confirms the word of his grace with signs and wonders. The finished work of his son and the grace of God that has come through his son, he confirms, he confirms that word with signs and wonders. And these signs and wonders, uh, they're, all, they're all kinds of things. I mean, like there, there could be 
A sign and a wonder could be like a dream you have one night. It could be a friend who calls you out of the blue and says the exact words that God spoke to you in prayer. It could be a book that you found in a bookstore that you were thinking about this very topic, and there's, there's the book right there. What signs and wonders could be all kinds of things. And as we look for those signs and wonders, we'll see them more and more, I think. We have any more chairs over here? Hey, Zimmy. Hey, Tiffany. So he confirms the word of his grace with signs and wonders. Now, look at this. This is so cool. In Galatians chapter 3, this is, it's so good. Let's just start the first verse, chapter 3 of Galatians. Oh, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? In a reference there, bewitching is like a, it's a, it's a spiritual power that has tried to blind the Galatians from the gospel, from the, the liberty that is in grace and in Christ alone. Who has bewitched you before whose eyes Jesus Christ was publicly portrayed as crucified? Now, these Galatians did not see the crucifixion of Jesus. What Paul is saying here is that while he, as he preached the gospel in the power of the Holy Spirit, it's as if he was the Christ was being crucified before their eyes. They saw it. They saw the revelation. That's what he's saying here. The power of the Spirit revealed the revelation of Christ and his death and what it meant. Verse 2. This is the only thing I want to find out from you. The only thing. Because he cuts right to the issue. The only thing I want to find out from you is this. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by hearing with faith. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or because you heard a, a message and you believed, is what he's saying there. You heard a message, you heard something, and you believed. Verse 3, are you so foolish? Having begun by the Spirit, are you now being perfected by the flesh? He relates works of the law with the flesh. Works of the law with the flesh. Verse 4. Did you suffer so many things in vain, if indeed it was in vain? Verse 4 is a reference to their persecution. They were persecuted for this awesome gospel of grace. They were persecuted and they suffered things because people were rejecting them. The religious were rejecting them and saying, it can't be that easy. Oh, that's that easy believism. Don't, Don't go there. That's that sloppy agape, no. No, God expects a lot more from you than just believing. They suffered because of their confidence in Christ alone. That's what Paul meant when he said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. I, I used to, you know, I think some people, I've heard people preach that before, and they say, you know, bless God, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. If I, you know, we go to have breakfast at Denny's, we're going to bow our head and pray and bless the food. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. <laughs> That's not what Paul is talking about. Paul was not talking about praying over his food in a restaurant. He's talking about not being ashamed of a gospel that is so simple, seems so simplistic, seems so weak, seems so foolish, and it is so God-centered and not man-centered that man can't receive it. Religious man cannot receive it. He's not ashamed of it. 
For God has chosen the weak to confound the strong and the foolish to confound the wise. For Christ is the wisdom of God and the power of God. And those who receive this as children learn the secret of the Lord. They see beyond the veil. And what is the secret of the Lord? By simply believing on Him, He Himself comes to live inside of us. What's the secret of the Christian life? Christ living His own life through us. Union comes when we simply believe what He did and He gives it to His children and makes us His sons and daughters. It's awesome. Okay, verse 5. Oh, this is, and this is the verse I was aiming at. Does He then who provides you with the Spirit and works miracles among you do it by the works of the law or by hearing with faith? Isn't that awesome? Do you see what Paul is saying there? He said, as a matter of fact, the same God who gave you the Spirit and He who works miracles among you, they were used to it. That's why he said it that way. This God who gave you the Spirit and who works miracles among you, does He do it because of the works of the law, because you've been obedient? Because you've been obedient? Or does he do it because you heard a message of what God did and you believed? Yes. I love that verse in, um, in Acts where Paul, I mean, where Peter, Peter is preaching the gospel and people are getting healed around him. And, and they, you know how they started to worship Peter and they said, oh, the gods have come down among us. And, you know, and they were like amazed that through the hands of men, mere men, miracles would take place. And, and Peter said, I love what Peter said. He said, wait a minute. He said, do you think by some, by our power, he said, do you think by, by our, our power or by some piousness in the Greek, it's piousness or holiness, do you think by our power or our holiness this person stands healed? It's a key. It's a key to praying for the sick. It's a, key to, it's a key to seeing the miracles of Christ flow through us. Peter was convinced it was not a matter of Peter's holiness, Amen. his own holiness. It was not a matter of Peter's own power. He was so convinced of it, he was shocked, shocked they would even think that. He goes, are you, are you kidding me? You think that my power is doing this? My holiness is doing this? He says, no. But their faith in the name of Jesus Amen. has healed them. It's awesome. They were in the flesh doing miracles by the authority of the Christ to prepare them for having miracles flow through them where they knew it was not us. He gave them authority to go out and heal the sick in his name. They came back all fleshly and carnal and rejoicing that the demons are subject to us. We have power. Let's, let's rain fire down from heaven, Lord. We, you've given us power. Fleshly as you could be. Carnal as you could be. And Jesus was teaching them teaching them, preparing them. And they got it. They understood, especially after they received the Spirit, that it was not them, but it was Him. It was Him. That's why He would appear for 40 days after the resurrection, appear and disappear, appear and disappear for 40 days. He was preparing them to live in the invisible. 
He was with them for three and a half years, walking with them. They saw him with their own eyes. They touched, they handled the word of life. They were with him, but he was soon to leave and he prepared them for living in a way where they knew he was always with them even though they could not see him. For 40 days, he would appear and talk with them and disappear, appear and disappear, appear and disappear until finally they got it. He's still here. He's still here. And Peter could go into a room and raise the dead even, just as his master did, knowing it was him. It was not Peter. He will confirm the word of his grace with signs and wonders. It has nothing to do with our holiness. It has nothing to do with our righteousness because all our righteousness is his and all our holiness is his because of our union with him. It's awesome. It's awesome. I mean, you are dangerous. You are dangerous to the kingdom of darkness because when you get this, you're like, you know, lightning bolts coming out of you. You're just a child of God. I'm serious. I mean, the heightened... When we get over this legalism in the church and this sin consciousness in the church and we, get, we grow more in our awareness of our union with Him as our life, watch out. There's no need to wait. We've all had miracles happen in our lives. We've all seen answers to prayer. We've all seen that already. We've seen that and we've seen the power of God work in our lives. And, but I believe, I believe that He's not doing nearly as much through us as he really wants to do. Remember when he came to that town and the scripture says he wanted to do a lot more. He wanted to do more miracles and more healing, but he could not because of their unbelief. He wanted to. And I think there's a, that's a truth there that we need to really receive from the scripture that, you know, the church is full of unbelief. And if the church is preaching a mixed gospel of law and grace, how can he confirm? He who is so eager to confirm his, his power, how can he confirm that which he does not endorse? It's something really to think about. That you know, we, really, we really need to be, and I tell you, a big part of, of the grace of God and preaching the grace of God is, is being willing to be rejected by men. It's a big part of it. Paul says in Galatians, if I would seek to please men, I would not be the servant of Christ. This gospel is not for men. And you will be rejected by some men. You will be accepted by many others who are hungry and thirsty and humble, but you'll be rejected by others. And you've got to be willing to have, I think one of the keys is you've got to have nothing to lose. That's why a lot of leaders in church, in the church today, leaders worldwide, are slow to see this and preach this because they have too much vested interest in the religious system. It may be a salary. It may be a book. It may be a hundred books out there that are all wrong. It may be something, but they've got too much royalties are coming in from 50 books they've written over the years and half of them are wrong and they cannot. We just simply cannot say that was wrong. It's a big part of it. But you know what? If they would take the leap and believe and, um, and say the truth, God would so honor them and bless them. They'd be awesome. God would be, the world would, the church would go like, what a humble man. He realized that was wrong and he's changed and he's, oh my gosh. And he would just, you know, he'd write more books. There'd be better books. God would take care of that. Don't worry about the money. 
don't worry about the authority that you have among men. The Pharisees were really big on having authority among the men. They didn't want to lose this, their seat, a govern, governing seat, their, their place of power and prestige. Don't worry about that. You have to have nothing to lose. You have to have no fear of man. And God will open the storehouses to you. God doesn't need, there's not many noble, not many wise. Get this, Paul said. It's those that just have a heart after God. Isn't that cool? He'll use anybody that will trust him. Anybody to do miracles and to preach his gospel. The eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to find that one whose heart is trusting in him. To show himself strong on behalf of that one. It's awesome. With God, you don't have to worry about a pecking order. You don't have to worry about having a, having a, Paul says, we don't have any letters of recommendation from leaders. We don't need letters of recommendation from leaders. You are our recommendation. The Spirit of God written in your hearts from the message we preach. That's Paul. I tell you. Okay. Just a few thoughts. It's so cool to see how our relationship with Jesus is the exact counterpart that Jesus had with the Father. This is so key, not just to understanding how he wants to work miracles through us and and power through us, but it's so key to our life in Christ. Our relationship with Jesus is the exact counterpart that Jesus had with the Father. Jesus said, as I lived by the Father, you now shall live by me. He is that bridge that allows us to live in a relationship with God just like he had. That's what he meant in John 17 when he said, Father, I have given them the glory that you have given me. What does he mean by that? I have given them the glory that you have given me, that we may be one. The glory he's talking about there, saints, is his sonship. There'll always be one son. There's a, there will always be one Lord. I'm not saying that we're, you know, we're lords and we become son, sons as Jesus was. There'll always be one son, the Christ, and one Lord. But he has made us, he has brought many sons into glory. The, Galatians says the spirit, of the spirit of the Son cries out in us, Abba, Baba, Father, Papa, Daddy. So what the glory, the glory that God has given us, that Jesus has given us through his death and resurrection is sonship. I've given them the same thing I have, Father, that we're all one. What humility. He who was in the form of God did not consider it something to be held on to and grasp, but humbled himself, became a man, and died on a tree that he might bring many sons many brothers. So the first thing, one of the first things I think to realize is we need to behold in the Gospels this relationship between Jesus and the Father. Just behold it. Just behold it. Just watch it. Watch the Son and the Father. Jesus said, I only do that which I see my Father doing. I only do what I see my Father doing. 
I think what that means is, is this. You know how you say sometimes, uh, Judy might say of Dale, uh, say she hears that, that Dale gave a $50 tip to a, a waitress for a cup of coffee because he felt compassion on her. And Judy would say something like, I can see Dale doing that. I can see Dale doing that. What Jesus meant when he said, I only do that which I see my father doing, I think a big part of that is just about knowing him. I know what he's like. I know what he's like. I know what Papa's like. And a person comes to me asking to be healed, I know what Papa would do. You see that? I don't do that which I don't see my father doing. No, I can't see my father doing that. I can see my father doing that. They're afraid in the boat. The storm's about to break it up. And Jesus says, I can see my father stopping this right now. They're afraid. Stop. Be still. So a big, big part of of this awesome life where he lives through us in power is knowing the father. The son knew the father. The scripture says the spirit has been given to us to reveal the son to us. And without the spirit, we can't know the son. And the scripture says that the son reveals who the father is, for he's the express image of the father. So the spirit shows us Christ. Christ shows us the father. Jesus said, as you've seen me, you've seen the father. Hebrews says he's the exact representation of God. You don't see, there's, there are things that are taught about God in churches worldwide that you do not see in the life of Christ. You do not see in the life of Christ because that's not the Father. Jesus said, they will even harm you and some will even try to kill you because they know not me nor my Father. So a big part of seeing God's power, His miraculous power flow through us is knowing Him. I only do that which I see my Father doing. It'd be like Greg doing something generous and, and we say, yeah, I can see Greg doing that because we know he's generous. He's got a big heart. Isn't that awesome? So a big part of, of him moving through us in miraculous ways is just knowing his heart. And you know what? That's where legalism is so devastating. It destroys the image of God. It corrupts his goodness, it corrupts it and makes people think that uh, he's, a, he's a hard taskmaster. There's a parable that Jesus gave once when they said, Lord, increase our faith, increase our faith that we might do these miracles and do these works and, and believe and not be afraid. Increase our faith. And so he told a parable about a man who had workers who would come in. He said, he said, which of you, which of you, when your workers come in from from the fields, which of you would say to your workers, sit down and eat and I'll serve you and then you be served last? Which of you would do that? And they would say, well, no, none of us would do that. He goes, you're right. What you would do is the workers would come in and you would say, serve me first. I'm the master now. Serve me first. And then after I've eaten, then you can eat. Because you see yourselves as unworthy servants. 
unworthy slaves, having just done your duty. That's what that parable says. You say these things, is what he said. You say that you're but an unworthy slave. I have only done my duty. He said, that's the problem. The key to faith is seeing yourself not as an unworthy slave, just doing duty. That's the corruptness of legalism. But to see you're a son. You're a son. You're in on the Father's business. The secrets and the mysteries of the kingdom are given to you. The prodigal son who was in the pig's pen came back. The other son who lived out of duty was angry at the father who threw a party because he related to the father based on his obedience, based on his performance. I have done all you've ever asked me to do. And you've never had one party for me or my friends. And this son of yours, didn't even claim him as a brother, this son of yours comes back after spending all your money from the pig's pen and you throw a party for him. And the father goes, son, all I have is yours. At any time, you could have asked for it. But the son who stayed related to his father based on obedience, performance, law, duty, when the father was trying to say, and remember, this is Jesus telling this story about who God is. The prodigal son found out that it wasn't a matter of his performance. It was a matter of the father's love. He was his, he was his son. That's my son. And it's the only time a picture of God is shown running. The father looked way down the road and saw him coming, which meant he looked every day. He looked every day. He looked every day. And he saw him afar off. It's him. It's him. The scripture says he pulled his robes around him so he wouldn't trip, and he ran to him. What a humble God. He ran to him. Legalism would teach the father waiting for a confession and repentance. And he'll, put on, he'll be put on probation. And we'll see. We'll see. Maybe. And the, and the son who related to the father in this way was standing right next, is standing right next to that, that father going, yeah, father, give it to him. That's so much of the church right now. Peter denied Jesus three times. Three times when Jesus needed him the most. Denied he even knew him to, to the point we had to curse to convince everybody around that he was not born of his, which is kind of interesting because they probably stopped cursing around him. See, so they, they kind of cleaned up their language without him saying anything about it because they never heard Jesus curse. So they kind of like stopped cursing. So this was new for Peter after three years. Three years, I've got to start cursing again. I've got to pull back out of my bag of curse words. I've got to say something to make them realize I'm not one of his. And yet Peter was chosen by Jesus to preach the first message at Pentecost. No probation. What probation? It's a revelation of who he is in Christ. It's not by our holiness or our righteousness or our piousness that he does these miracles among us, but it's him and faith in him. 
So the father and the son's relationship is an exact counterpart to our relationship with Jesus. As he lived by the father, so shall we live by him. We only do that which we see him do because we know him. We know his heart. The scripture says that when Jesus would do miracles, I love this where the scripture would say he was moved with compassion and healed the sick. Never, never look for the, never, never have a love for power, saints, but have the power of love. Don't look for miracles or signs and wonders. I'm not saying that. I'm not teaching that. But I'm saying he wants to do miracles through us. He wants to confirm the word of his grace with signs and wonders. It's a big part of the expansion of the gospel. It's what brought the cities out when they heard of this awesome power being demonstrated among men. He confirms the word of his grace with signs and wonders. The word of his grace, not the word of the law. Another thing that the son said in this relationship with the father, he said, for the father, speaking about, you know, doing only what you see the father do because he knows the father. Then he said this, he said, for the father loves the son and he shows him all things. More and more when we're convinced that we're beloved. John called himself the beloved. And I used to think, you know, like, wow, what arrogance. What ego. You know, he calls himself the beloved. All the other disciples he calls by their name. But he's, he's like the beloved. No, it's not arrogance at all. It's not ego at all. He got it. John knew. We should call ourselves the beloved. We're beloved of God. The son knew that. He knew that. He couldn't wait to, when he rose in the morning, to just get away for a while, away before the crowds. He would get away and just be loved by the Father. I think one of the number one things Jesus did in prayer was just allow the Father to bask him in his love. He received and then he gave. It's the way of God. We receive this abundant grace and this gift of righteousness. We receive his love. We give love. It's not that we first loved him, but he first loved us. We need to look at this relationship between the son and the father. Behold it. Behold it. Just watch it. Watch it unfold. That's why it's written that way. That's why the gospels are written that way. It's an eyewitness account of his life. Walking with the father among men. Because we can do the same things, he said. And greater works shall you do. Because it's not that he did these miracles by his power as God, but as a man who lived by God, modeling for us. As Acts said, it was God was with him and did miracles by this man, Christ Jesus. Modeling for us how we can live by him now in us, doing the same things. And I I think we'll go from faith to faith and from glory to glory and as we just rest in him and what he's saying to us about the simplicity of all this. Because it's all him. The father loves the son. And he shows me all things. When we're convinced of how much he loves us, it's easy to see him. It's easy to see what he's like. It's easy to hear his voice. It's easier. It's easier to hear his voice. It's easier to be led by the spirit. It's easier That's another problem with legalism. It robs us of our sense of belovedness. The very first words the father spoke to the son on earth was, this is my beloved son. And that's the words we have in him. 
we have that same word coming to us in him. This is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Why is God pleased with us? Because we have believed on his son. He is pleased because you have believed on his son. The mysterious work that removed all sin and reconciled the whole world unto himself, but cost him dearly. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Whosoever believes, believes, shall live forever. He's pleased with us because you have believed. God is inside of you. God is inside of you. God is inside of me. It never gets old. God is inside of me. We read that phrase, we are the temples of the Holy Spirit, and we hear it, you know. We are temples of the Holy Presence. It's awesome. Thank you, Lord. I just just feel um, there's a tenderness between the Son and the Father, a tenderness of knowing His belovedness and this one more thing that is so key. He The son lived in complete dependence on the father. Complete dependence. That's why he wouldn't turn stones to bread when the enemy tempted him to prove his sonship. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word. He he lived in complete dependence on the father. And it was not a scary thing for the son because he knew his father. He knew his father. He knew he could depend on him. He knew he could rely on him. He knew him. But he had this incredible, incredible way about him. Jesus lived completely dependent on the father. The son, he says, the son can do nothing of himself. The son can do nothing of himself. All that I say is the father speaking through me. My words are not my words, but the words of my father who dwells within me. The works that I do are not my works, but the works of my father that dwells within me. I love my father. Father, I love you. The world has not known you, but I know you. I love my Father. My Father loves me. Shows me all things. He lived in such dependence. And it was such a joy. It was a joy. That's, we need to behold that. We need to behold that. Don't make a formula out of it. Don't make it complicated. Just behold it. Just read the Gospels and behold this relationship between son and father. 
because it is your relationship. You're seeing yourself. You're seeing yourself. For as he is, so are we in this world. In this world. Now, John tells us. These mysteries are great. It's life. Life and peace. Oh, Lord, thank you, Father. Thank you, Master. Thank you, Lord. Good shepherd, gave yourself for the sheep. Teach us your way, Lord, of dependence. As we rest in your love, knowing we are beloved. Thank you, Father, for the power of the Holy Spirit to work miracles through us. Not of our holiness or our righteousness, but the Christ who is alive inside of us seeks to continue to teach and to do. He seeks to continue to teach and to do through us, the sons and daughters of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the miracles that will come and the signs and wonders that will be shown. Fear not, little flock. It is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Fear not. For it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom. I am with you. Always. Even until the end of the world. Amen.